God, it's to you that we offer up thanks. God, for you are good and there is none like you. God, we celebrate the work that you have done. We thank you, Lord, for life that you have given. We thank you, Lord, for lives that are restored. We thank you, Lord, that you are continuing in this very moment to bring life and to bring healing, to bring wholeness. God, we thank you, Lord, that we've had this opportunity, Lord, to come before you in song and to lift up your name and to celebrate, God, what you are doing. And Lord, right now we present ourselves before you and pray, Lord, that you would continue, God, to work among us. Speak to us, Lord, through your word. Reveal to us, God, what you would desire to show us. And we will continue, Lord, to give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God is so good. All the time. We've, we've sung and we've spoken of his goodness and we're going to see his, continue to see his goodness. Anytime we look at him, we see his goodness, correct? Well, we have... Um, Another way that we're able to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and we want to just uh, give a reminder to you that we've been uh, giving you the opportunity to participate in reaching uh, thousands upon thousands of children around the world is through Operation Christmas Child. Uh, so the opportunity has been out here for you to pick up boxes uh, that you can fill, and these will be sent around the world uh, to minister kindness and the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, to children. Uh, so if you haven't picked up uh, boxes, you can still do that today. If you have picked up, up boxes, you have seven days. <laughs> okay, the countdown is on. So these need to be brought uh, back to the church by next Sunday, which is November 21st. And uh, they're gonna be sent out then to the next stage before they get shipped around the world. Uh, so again, we invite you to uh, pick up a box, to bring boxes back. And also there's an opportunity, we're a collection station for this, this area. Uh, so in the next seven days, for the next seven days, boxes will be brought here. So there's an opportunity uh, for you, if you're available through the day, uh, to come and volunteer and just be here to receive boxes that are being brought from many different places. Uh, so thank you again for your faithfulness in giving. We're moving in now to a time that, uh, honestly, as I was preparing, I didn't realize this, but yet, as closer we came to this moment. Um, there's things that we're gonna talk about It's gonna feel a little bit like a, like a Good Friday service because we're looking specifically at the death and the burial of Jesus. And I just wanna say that, that God has been using this. I've done many Good Friday services, but God has been using this in a unique way to speak to my life. And I'm trusting that as we look today at the death of our king, that God will speak some fresh words and some fresh truths not to, your, to your life, not just to understand, but to, to touch your heart and bring transformation in your life. And two words that, have, that just keep resonating as I've been preparing for this are, are draw close, draw close. And as I was thinking about it, there are things that, that we can see and experience in life. When we see them from a distance, it's one thing, but when we get close, it's something totally different. You know, can you give testimony to that? Uh, we've um, had the privilege to, over the years, go to some amusement parks that had dolphin shows. And you see those dolphins from a distance and what they do, and it's absolutely incredible. We had an opportunity when our children were young to get up close and personal with the dolphins. So there was a shallow pool, and, and we were able to get some food, some fish to, to feed to the dolphins, and they would come up, and you could pet them. And our son at that time was a very young toddler, and he was in in a stroller, 
And um, we'll never forget this moment. This was an up close personal time because the one dolphin saw that we had some fish and didn't, want us, didn't wait for us to hand them to the, to the dolphin. The thing literally leaped up over the edge and like was, uh, okay, so I think my son in a stroller kind of went flying through the air a little bit as, as he's pulled back from this, this dolphin. The up close and personal changed everything. Um, the Grand Canyon, some of us had, have had the opportunity maybe to see pictures or to even fly over or to be on the rim. Totally different experience when you start hiking down the trail and you're seeing the sheer drop just beside you and these tall walls to the other side, drawing close, getting up close and personal. Uh, many of us may have gone to concerts where we've seen musicians that, uh, that we really like and respect and you're seeing them from a distance on a stage but when you have the opportunity to get into a meet and greet when you're in a room and like this close getting to talk and to getting to know them a little more personally, drawing close but getting up close and personal makes all the difference. So these are some good things about getting up close and personal but getting up close in other situations can be overwhelming with pain. We can read news reports or see stories on the news, hear prayer requests, the people that are going through tragedies, through very difficult times, and that's one thing, but when that tragedy or that difficult time is in your life or a loved one, up close and personal is very different. For those of us that are old enough to remember 20 years ago on 9-11, many of us can remember right where we were at and what we felt when we saw video of planes hitting the towers and towers collapsing. We were impacted where we were. But for those that were there, those that were first responders, being close was totally different. And what we're going to do today is to move in close, to draw close to the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. And as we do, we've, I, I imagine that we've all been there in different ways and at different times, but, but as we go there, I'm just praying that God's gonna impact us in such a way that this drawing close and being close and personal with Jesus' death and burial will transform us, will draw us closer to him, will build his life stronger within us. So we've been going through John, in John chapter 18, two weeks ago, we looked at the betrayal, the arrest, in the beginning of the trials for Jesus. And then last week, Alex brought to us a message from the first part of John 19, and, and he walked us through the, the trials and the, sense, the sentencing, the beating, and into the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And we were led to behold Jesus as king, to behold Jesus as our suffering king, to behold him as our submitted king, to behold him as our rejected king, Behold him as a criminalized king and ultimately to behold him as savior king. And today, we're going to behold the death of our king. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? God, we've come before you in song and in prayer and once again, Lord, we humble ourselves before you and we pray, dear God, that you would speak to every one of us God, we thank you for the freedom that we have to come together in this place and for others to join us remotely. And God, we pray that right now, just by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would focus each one of us on you. God, that as we look at it, as we read and study your word, God, that we would see you more clearly. 
Thank you, God, for the gift of the word. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of fellowship. Thank you, God, for your spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would have your way in every single one of us. Lord, I pray, too, that you would protect our hearts. And God, for as we look at things such as the death of Jesus and the burial, Lord, it can be a very difficult thing for many of us to walk into, but God, I thank you that you walk with us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to sense you right here with each one of us. God, leading us into a place of greater understanding, embrace, and of knowing you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, this message, we're going to be looking at the very end of the crucifixion of Jesus. And if you remember from last week, the passage ended with Jesus speaking from the cross to John and to his mother Mary. The passage that we're starting with now is John chapter 19, beginning with verse 28. The passage begins with this. After this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So earlier in the day, Jesus had refused a drink that was offered to him. It would have been a pain-numbing drink. And that drink he had refused to take. But now, this is about three o'clock in the afternoon. There have been three hours of complete darkness over the land. Jesus was going through excruciating pain. In fact, excruciating even comes from this, this, this act of crucifixion, that word. But he was going through excruciating pain, the mocking. After these three hours, he now calls out, he says, I thirst. And this was to fulfill the prophecy of Psalm 69, verse 21. It says, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Now, this sour wine that he drank would have just been a cheap wine that the soldiers had there by the cross for, for, him, for themselves. But they dipped a sponge into that sour wine and they lifted it up to Jesus' mouth so that he could just get some liquid, some fluid on his lips. And the hyssop branch that they used, and it specifically says they took hyssop and put the sponge on it, that hyssop branch speaks to the Passover back in Egypt. When the, when the Egyptians were told that the angel of death was passing through the land and they were told to, to sacrifice the Passover lamb and in that blood they were to dip the hyssop branch into the blood and using the hyssop branch were to apply that blood to the doorpost and the lintel of their homes in order that the angel of death would pass by and literally would save the life of the firstborn in that house. So you look at the symbolism that is here in the fulfillment of what's happening because Jesus is that Passover lamb. So that sour wine was put to his mouth and it wet his lips so that he could, in the other gospels say that he cried out with a loud cry, with a loud shout. And what he cried out was, it is finished. So as we're drawing close to Jesus and as we're looking at his life, I wanna share with you some experiences I've had because um, many years ago, I had the opportunity, actually for many years, to play the role of Christ in in Easter Easter productions. And in that role, actually, part of what I did was to carry a cross toward a stage and to be whipped by soldiers. Now, 
We were all acting. But some of the soldiers were my friends, I thought. Um, <laughs> but especially when it was the last production for a season, they kind of didn't hold back a lot, okay? It was, <laughs> yeah, it was a plastic whip, but they would, they would whip me, and I would be taken up to the stage and put, and put on a cross. Now, we had theatrical nails, but we went through that whole process, but I was in that, that role of playing Christ. I would be nailed to the cross and then lifted up and hanging on that cross before the people. Now, for those of you that have visual images of me hanging on a cross right now, I'm just gonna pray that God would scrub those pictures from your mind. Uh, that was about 15, 20 pounds ago in many years and no white hair, you know, white hair on my face. Um, so I was a different person at that time, but, but I was hanging there and I was on that cross and being in that position, it wasn't just acting. God was giving me an opportunity to be close to what he did. God was giving me an opportunity when I was on that cross and I can still picture it like right now just hanging on that cross through a song that was, that was being sung about the crucifixion, looking out and getting a little taste of the love that Jesus had for those that were there and who were killing him. And I remember just before I would say those words, it is finished. I remember thinking of what Christ must have felt like at that moment when he made that definitive statement, when he shouted out that, that with the last ounce of energy that he had, he shouted this declaration, it is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And he bowed his head. And he died. And that word, that, that phrase, it is finished, comes from a Greek word that really helps us to understand what Jesus was saying. So the Greek word in the New Testament that is translated, it is finished, is tetelestai, tetelestai. And again, it simply means it is finished, but I wanna, want you to hear how that word was used in Jesus' day. For a servant, tetelestai, it is finished, means that I have completed the assignment that I've been given to do. For a priest, when they said tetelestai, they said, I've examined the animal that is presented for sacrifice and found it to be faultless. It can now be sacrificed. For an artist, when an artist would say, Tetelestai, it is finished, they would say, This painting, this work that I've done is complete. For a writer, Tetelestai, it is finished, means the story is written, it is done. And for a merchant, listen to this, a merchant, when they said tetelestai, it is finished, it meant the debt has been paid in full. Jesus declared tetelestai, it is finished. He says it is finished, it is standing finished, it remains finished. And I want you to hear what that's saying. This literally is a pivotal point in all human history. Because up to that point, there were sacrifices that were made for sin, animal sacrifices according to scripture, but they were just a covering for sin. When Jesus said it is finished, he says I have become sin. I've taken on sin myself and I have paid the price. Debt is paid in full. Tetelestai, it is finished. Part of me just wants to sit here and just absorb this truth that Jesus has finished the work. 
when he declared that. He's saying the sin of mankind is taken away. He fulfilled what, what John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus paid the price, he finished the work. To Telestai, it is finished. And then he handed his life over to God. Up to that point, his life by God's order had been handed to others. Through Judas, he was handed over to the soldiers. Pilate was used to hand him over for, for, for punishment and for crucifixion. He was handed into, into the Roman soldiers' that, hands who actually nailed him to the cross. But Jesus declared, no one takes my life from me, I lay it down, and this is what Jesus did here. He declared, it is finished, and he gave over his spirit into God's hand. Nobody took his life from him, he gave his life as a ransom. He voluntarily paid the price for our sin. Five days earlier, he had entered into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry, but now on this day, at this time, there's a triumphal ending, it is finished. And he died as the Passover lamb outside of the city. And from the other gospels, we know that when Jesus made this final declaration, that the earth shook, rocks split, and the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom, and we have been given access into the Holy of Holies through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb. We can approach now the throne of God with confidence we are invited into the presence of God because of what Christ did. This moment was so overwhelming, you think of a person who was near, the centurion that was standing right in front of the cross and witnessed all this. The centurion, the Roman soldier in charge of that group overseeing the crucifixion, praised God and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Can we just pause and draw close to the death of our king and see this finished work on the cross? We're visiting this moment, but this, I trust, will not just be part of the message this morning, but God will draw us back and draw us back, and draw us back to remember and to honor and to allow the power of this finished work to impact us daily. Because in communion, we're even told that we, we are called to proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. For it is in the death of the Lord that it is finished. So we move on into the, in the text to verse 31. It says, since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he, he was already dead, they did not break his legs. So this passage, we go from the ultimate expression of God's grace, the gift of his, of his own son for us, into man trying to fill God's law their way. 
So what prompted them, again, is, is the, what it says is that it was the day of preparation. So this is, according to, to biblical law, the day of preparation is the day before Sabbath. And this was a high Sabbath. It was a high Sabbath because it was part of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was a seven-day period that started with, with the Seder meal. But it was the day of preparation. So the day of preparation is when you, you get done the things that you need to get done so you can have Sabbath, so that you can have rest on God's appointed day. So the day of preparation is what they were thinking of. And taking down the bodies from the cross was necessary because in De- Deuteronomy chapter 21, if they left those, those bodies on the cross, they would be defiling their land. So they were doing this in order, again, to try to fulfill the law. Can't imagine the pain of crucifixion, yes, is excru- excruciating, but thinking, think about what they were doing. They went to those, the criminals that had been crucified on either side of Jesus and with a mallet, they literally broke their legs. And by breaking their legs with that mallet, their bodies would drop. They wouldn't be able to support themselves. And it's necessary to support yourself in crucifixion so that you don't suffocate. So the breaking the legs of those criminals caused them then to move forward in the death and they would suffocate. But when they came to Jesus, this is so important, when they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs because they saw that he was already dead. This is confirmation that Jesus, in fact, died. And I say that because there are people that argue throughout history, have argued that Jesus never really fully died. That he went into some kind of state where he was just barely alive. And then in the tomb, he, he started to resurrect of his, of his own power. Okay, but these are experts in crucifixion. And they made the determination, Jesus is dead. And when we go on, we're gonna see this even further in verse 34. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken, and again another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. So this this passage speaks confirmation that Jesus in fact died. There's no question. And John says there's one who bore witness. Some, some scholars believe that that was John was speaking of himself. Others believe that it was a, another witness that John fully trusted. But he's saying that this is in fact true. It's 100% true. You can trust it. You can believe it. It is fact. And we look at what happened. So when it talks about that, the blood and water coming out, what was happening? Well, in the process of crucifixion, as I said, you, the person would have to push themselves up so that they could breathe. And one of the things that happens is that they can't exhale, like when they, they can't lift themselves up so that the, the carbon dioxide can, can get out of their system. And that carbon dioxide starts to build up within their system and it, it, it creates like a, a poison inside of their body. And the fluid begins to accumulate around the heart and around the lungs. That fluid is accumulating. And when that, that spear pierced into Jesus' side, the blood and the fluid ran out, showing that again that he had died. Some people believe that because the heart's working so hard, some people believe that physiologically it's possible that it was actually a heart attack or a ruptured heart that, actually, that led to Jesus' death when he gave up the spirit. But the water and the blood 
flowed out from his pierced side. And that could be symbolic of numerous things. Jesus declared, I am the living water. And he gave his life's blood so that that water, that eternal life can flow from him. Some people look at it and they see the sacraments, the water representing water baptism, and the blood, the sacrament of communion. But the bottom line is that this is fulfilling prophecy. It's proving that Jesus, in fact, died. And it fulfills the prophecy because the Roman soldiers actually disobeyed orders. They were told to break legs, and when they came to Jesus, they did not. And that fulfilled the prophecy of Exodus chapter 12 when it said concerning the Passover lamb that you shall not break any of its bones. Jesus, the Passover lamb, not a, not a bone was broken. And then in Zechariah 12, verse 10, when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one who mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Jesus fulfilled prophecy in this moment. So right now will we draw close to the death of our king and see him as the Passover lamb, that lamb that takes away the sin of the world and see him as the one who was pierced so that we could have life. We're going to move on now to something that I've discovered to be absolutely miraculous. And I've known the story all my life, but yet as, as I've studied, God just revealed some things to me about what is about to happen in this text. And Jesus is dead. There's two people that show up on the scene. And as we walk alongside of them, as we draw close to them, I believe that God wants to speak some very specific things to your life and to my life. In verse 38, Scripture tells us, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Up to this point, Jesus' body has been handled by Roman soldiers. But at this point, two disciples, two followers of Christ step in and they're not at all who we might expect. It appears that the 11 disciples are nowhere near. In fact, at the cross, we only have record that of those 11, only John was present. Now we don't know if the others may have been back, but there's no record of those other disciples even being at the cross. But now, when Jesus is dead, two disciples step forward. God calls two religious men of the Jews to come and do an absolutely beautiful thing. As we draw near the death of our king, I trust that we will look at what they did and embrace 
what their actions speak to us and even let their actions be an example of what God is calling us to do. So these two men, Joseph of Arimathea, he was a high-ranking member of the Sanhedrin, which was a, a ruling uh, group of the Jews, high religious person. Scripture tells us that he was wealthy, that he was righteous, and also Scripture tells us that he did not consent to what just happened, that he was not in, in agreement with the ruling that the council had made. But Scripture also tells us that he was a follower of Jesus but quietly for fear of the Jews. Nicodemus, we recognize his name, he's shown up a couple times in this gospel. Remember in John chapter three, when Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, and often we, we can kind of criticize Nicodemus, well, he came at night so people wouldn't see him. That's a possibility, but it's also a time where there will be personal conversations with a rabbi. But Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, and Jesus explained to him, what it meant to be born again. Jesus explained to him the work of the Spirit. And Je Jesus also said in that, in that chapter, in John chapter three, verse 14, that, that even as Moses lifted up the serpent on the pole, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. All who look to him will have eternal life. That's the Nicodemus. The Nicodemus ap appeared again at the end of John chapter seven. And in that place, he's sitting as part as a Pharisee. He's a, he's a religious ruler as well. He's sitting as a Pharisee, and they're giving discussion about trying to arrest Jesus. And he's saying, wait, wait you, you have to give him a chance to speak. You need to give him an opportunity to, to share his testimony. And Nicodemus in that moment was ridiculed. In fact, he was, he was mocked. He said, what, are you, by his, his, his colleagues, he's saying, are you from Galilee as well? So Nicodemus was... He was moving forward in his faith. He was stepping up. But what they did here is absolutely amazing. That, that Joseph went to Pilate. In Mark, the Gospel of Mark, it says that, that basically that he gathered up courage and he went before Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus. These disciples who had been, been, been private before in their faith and their following of Jesus stepped forward at this critical time. When Joseph came and received the body of Jesus and Jesus was put in the tomb, it was to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah 53, 9, which says, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. But I was drawn back to something that Jesus said in John chapter 12. Jesus made this declaration in verse 32. He said, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Look what was happening is that as Jesus had been lifted up from the earth and he had been crucified, he was drawing these men to himself. He was moving them from the place they had been into a new way of living. William Barclay says this, that the power of the cross had already begun to operate and already it was drawing all men to him. The power of the cross was even then turning the coward into the hero and the waverer into the man who took an irrevocable decision for Christ. When we come close to the cross and we see what Jesus has done, it becomes life transforming. And what I'd like us to do is to walk through 
a few things that Joseph and Nicodemus did. And I trust that, that God will use them to inspire us to follow them because what they did shows so much the character and the person of Christ. So as we draw close to the death of our king, I believe that God is calling us to lay aside our reputation. As we draw close to the death of our king, I believe that God is calling us to lay aside our reputation. Our reputation is what others think about us, the perception that they have of us. Our reputation impacts how we are treated. And their actions call us and invite us to lay aside our reputation. As we've said, they were both rulers. They were both part of the governing system of the Jews. And in fact, that governing system is what led to the crucifixion of Jesus. And when they stepped forward, when they asked for the body and they took care of the body of Christ, they were in direct opposition and contradiction to what had just been accomplished through their ruling bodies. Now we don't know what happened, what the result was afterwards, but I can't imagine that they still had the same standing that they had before. In fact, I wonder if even they had a seat in the places where they had served. It's a pretty good chance that they were cast out. And you what they said? It doesn't matter. I can lose my reputation. It doesn't matter because I've seen him. I've touched him. I've handled him. I know that he is the son of God. Nothing else matters. I don't know how this may apply to your life and to mine. But as we walk through life, there are times when us making the declaration that Jesus is God and that he is Savior and that he is my Savior can cost us significantly. Are we willing? Are we even desiring to say, my reputation doesn't matter? All that matters is that I treat him, the son of God, in the way that he deserves. Because the, the one place that really matters where we have standing is with the Lord. Everybody can reject us and it hurts. Everyone can abandon us and it hurts deeply. But when we are standing right before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, we win. And the only way the only way that I believe that we can, can stand and that we can walk and we can live in a way that our reputation doesn't matter is to stay close to the death of our king. It's to see what he has done for us and to have fresh, fresh revelations, fresh touch, fresh experience of his death for us. And we don't respond saying, so, so God, I'm, I'm paying you back in this way. We can't pay him back. There's nothing that we can do that could possibly uh, be equal to what he has done for us, but he is calling us to see what he has done and respond in love. And say, Jesus, because you have paid everything, you laid aside your reputation, you laid aside heaven and came to earth 
You were scorned, you were ridiculed. You died the death of a cursed person. And it was for me. So Jesus, I love you. So regardless what others may think of me, regardless what others may say of me, regardless what others may do to me, I lay aside my reputation so that you can be seen in and through my life. It's really what Joseph and Nicodemus did. And as we look and we draw close to the death of Christ, the death of our king, we can be called to be generous with our treasure. Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man, but he gave up a tomb for our king. We don't know exactly, what, there's, there's a lot of scholars, I've read a number of things about, uh, you know, other scripture says that this was his tomb, that it was Joseph's tomb, that obviously nobody had ever been in before, but it was hewn out of rock. There had been a significant investment in what that would have cost, but some even believe that, that Joseph may have, have discovered who Jesus was. He realized that he was the son of God, may have stu- studied scripture and realized that a tomb needed to be made for him. So it's even possible that Joseph had this tomb hewn out of rock for our Lord and our Savior. Regardless, he handed that tomb over to the Son of God and said, this is the place where you will be laid. And Nicodemus brings the myrrh and the aloes. So some translations say 75 pounds, some say 100 pounds. That just is due to the conversion of weights in the scripture to modern day. But we know this, that the myrrh and the aloes that that Nicodemus brought forward was burial for a king. It was burial for a king. And I read an article from 2017 that said the estimate of the value of that myrrh and that aloe in today's currency may have been as high as 150 to $200,000. And just so you remember, that article was from four years ago, so it's worth much more even now. So we don't know exactly what that dollar amount was, but Nicodemus said, this is for my king. He's getting a burial that a king deserves. And as we come to the Lord and as we see our crucified king, as we see the death and the payment that was paid, again, not out of obligation, but out of response of love, we say, what we have is not ours. May what we have be used for him. That whatever is placed in our hands, we've talked about this many times and we'll continue because we need to be reminded whatever is in our hands, whatever we possess, truly if we are the Lord's, it is not ours, it is his. And the more that we look at the sacrifice of Christ and, and his, the giving of his life for us, the more that we can walk in this reality and the more that we find freedom, I'll guarantee you that Joseph and Nicodemus had no regrets for what they gave, even though it was only for a few days. Think about that. In a few days, he would rise again. But they were willing to give of their resources to be generous. And this is not, and we've said this over and over again, we'll continue to say it, this is not in any way trying to obligate or pressure anybody to give. God loves those that give out of a cheerful heart, out of a desire. And when I again see the love of Christ for me, I willingly give and I become more generous. As has been mentioned recently, last season, we uh, walked through Advent Conspiracy, and we talked about how, how in, in this season that we can give in different ways, that we can give in ways that, that can help support those that may be overlooked, that we can give gifts of greater meaning, 
You know, I, I, I don't know how God may lead you in giving, but, but he, if you're willing, if you, if you say, God, help me just to be generous, Help me, Lord, to, to realize that what is mine is not mine, it's yours, you des- as you desire. You're gonna, you're gonna experience blessings, and, and I'm not saying that it comes, sometimes it does come back in financial blessings, but you receive blessings and that you know that you're partnering with God that go beyond what words can say and what money can buy. This is an opportunity for us as we look at Christ to step forward in being generous with the treasures that he's placed in our hands. And finally, as we draw close, we can be called to serve sacrificially. What this cost Joseph and Nicodemus probably was the reputation, certainly was financial resources, but it also meant that they were defiled, that they were unclean for the celebration, of the religious celebration that was right before them. So according to scripture, that when a person touched a dead body, that they were unclean for a period of time and could not participate in religious ceremonies. So these religious leaders who rested on following the law, the law of God as well as the law of man that had been added to it, They rested in that, they had security in that. They gave that up so that they could bury the Son of God. And I won't try to go into a detailed explanation because I don't know exactly how it looked or what it must have felt like, but they they were touching, they were carrying, they were handling the crucified body of Jesus. They were wrapping with the linen cloths and putting the myrrh and the aloe. They were going through the ceremonial processes. They were willing to serve sacrificially, even though it meant that they would be considered unclean and could not celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread with their families, with their colleagues, with other Jews in that, in that time. I don't know, I'm just, I'm, I can only imagine what they were experiencing as they were serving in this way. The deep honor that they must have experienced. The thanksgiving to God for his immeasurable gift. I can't imagine what was happening in their hearts as what they felt and what they believed transferred into what they did. as we serve sacrificially for God, out of a heart of love and response to the great gift of God, we're taken to places that words cannot describe. Serving sacrificially can take on so many forms, but it is giving of ourselves for the sake of God and others. You can say, but we can't physically touch the body of Christ. 
We can't wrap him as Joseph and Nicodemus did. But we can minister to Christ. For Jesus said, when you do it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. When you're giving to those in need, when you're helping the downcast, when you're lifting up the hurting, you're doing this as unto me. And you find life. I trust that nothing I've said will lead you to a life of works. What I mean by that, we're, we're depending on our works to be goodness. What I'm inviting us to is a deeper life of worship. What I'm inviting us to is this, this opportunity for us to go deeper in our living. Yes, where it's good works, but it's, it's, it's as worship as unto our king. The Apostle Paul got this so powerfully. When he wrote to the Galatians, he said, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. As we embrace the death of our King and we walk in the light of what he has done, we find life beyond measure. So what I'd like to do is to invite us this week, and, and we, we desire that this happens every time we come together, that what happens as we come together and worship in worship in, in music and in, in, the, in prayer and in word is that that impacts us in a way that we carry his life throughout the week in our lives. We've talked about everyday discipleship coming up and that's another vehicle that God is desiring to use so that we can continue to walk out and to carry out the good work that he does as we gather in his name. So for this week, I want to encourage you to do this. Is to spend time just meditating, like to read and to sit with the word that we've just, we've just studied. Meditate on the, beth, on the death and the burial of Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to continue to speak to you Yes, God may call to remembrance some things that I've said, but the Holy Spirit will speak to you specifically and directly as you meditate and as you sit with this word. And then secondly, in light of Jesus' death, this is so important, as we look at what Jesus has done and the completed work that, that he, has, he has accomplished, as we, in light of his death, look for places in your life where God may be calling you to lay aside your reputation. He may be specifically speaking and saying, you know you've been concerned about what people are are thinking about you or, or how they may see you. Would you lay that down for my sake? He may be speaking to you Give him opportunity to speak to you how he is he's giving you an opportunity to serve and to give of your resources and to give sacrificially of your time and of your service. God desires that his word would become life in us. And his word is living in life throughout us in beautiful ways, and God has so much more. Will we take time and allow him to lead us and to guide us? And then finally, I want to encourage you to read ahead, and, and I've maybe touched on just a little bit. We know that this, when we say it is finished, there's more story coming. 
right? It's Good Friday. We know Easter's coming, right? Sunday's coming. Jesus paid the price, but we know that he rose again and he has conquered. He is victor over death. And because he has conquered, we too have eternal life through Jesus Christ. So um, as you focus on his death, peek ahead and embrace his life. Praise God. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? God, thank you. Thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. Thank you, Lord, God, for your word and for your spirit and for the beauty of your people here. God, we, th- we pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to focus on you and to see you more clearly. God, allow us, Lord, to lead us to where we will allow your word to more fully transform our lives day by day. God, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity together, and we now uh, offer ourselves in this week to you and pray, God, that you would do all that you desire in every one of us. We thank you, Lord, that you go with us, God, that you go before us, that you are around us, and we just ask, God, that you would be seen, that you would be glorified in and through us. And God, may we even be inspired, Lord, as we've looked at Scripture today, God, to step forward, God, to move in the way that you're calling us, to look at the crucified Christ and and then respond in love and worship to you. God, we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ and for your glory. Amen and amen. Grace, thank you so much for being here this morning. Go in his grace and in the light of his revelation. Walk in the power of his spirit. And as you go out, we want to encourage you again to stop by uh, the Operation Christmas Child tables. And also please stop by uh, and see Brad and Rebecca and see what opportunities that they have there for you to join in partnership and ministry. God bless you.